Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. A new study came out of Dartmouth in September that I think is interesting for a couple of reasons. Not that the outcome was completely unexpected, but I think that it gives an interesting insight into how we listen to music and why it affects us the way that it does. Now, we have touched on the topic of music in the brain before, in one of my earliest episodes, Music and the Body with Lori Finley Hamilton. In that episode, Lori shared how certain frequencies affect the body on a cellular level and how different types of music can be used to increase brain activity in different ways. And this new research builds upon that foundation. So let me give you a little background first. Back in the 1990s, scientists figured out that listening to Mozart was found to increase brain function and spatial reasoning, and it even raised IQ by eight or nine points. This was called the Mozart effect, and it started a movement of parents playing classical music in the nursery as their babies slept, hoping that it would turn children into baby geniuses. Researchers also had some beginnings of research on how listening to Mozart's sonata K448 in D major for two pianos could help patients that suffer from epilepsy. This newest study expanded on that research with better measurement techniques and a specific focus to understand Mozart's effects on the brain. It focused specifically on how listening to K448 affected interictal epileptiform discharges, or IEDs. IEDs are a type of brainwave spike that happens sporadically between seizures in people with epilepsy. These spikes affect memory loss and brain function, and some can't be treated well with medication. And 30 years ago, there was some slight evidence that this Mozart sonata helped decrease the number of these spikes. Researchers from the Geisel School of Medicine, Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center, and Dartmouth College's Bregman Music and Effective Sound Lab had been studying the effect of sound on brainwaves, and whether or not tones at 40 hertz, or gamma stimulation, as they called it, affected these IEDs. For reference, here's what 40 hertz sounds like. No, nothing happened to the recording. 40 hertz literally sounds like a fan, or just some sort of low rumbling. It's not very fun to listen to. So this study set out to find if there was something more enjoyable that could also be used therapeutically for these patients, and if there was a certain amount of time that was needed to have a therapeutic effect. So in this study, they had patients listen to different types of music for either 15 or 90 seconds. They played about nine different types of music, including Mozart's Sonata K448, Chopin's Bolero in C, Opus 19, Liszt's Piano Sonata in B minor, First Movement, Wagner's Lohengrin Prelude to Act 1, and then they would play the patient's favorite song, whether it was country or hard rock or, you know, whatever their favorite song was. And then, as a reference, they also just played a tone of 40 hertz by itself. And while the patients were listening, the researchers watched the brain activity with special sensors that were attached to the patient's brains. On top of that, they also compared the reactions of the brains from the original recordings and with those same recordings with the music run through a filter to boost the 40 hertz frequencies to see if the gamma frequencies worked better when they were paired with music or if the music worked better when those frequencies were hiked up as well. So what was the result? Well, 
after just 30 seconds of listening, the original 40 hertz frequency alone decreased the number of IEDs. But other than that, really nothing, except the original unfiltered version of the K448 Sonata. Yes, you heard that right. The Mozart effect had worked again. When listened to for 30 seconds, the amount of spikes fell by two-thirds throughout the brain, and they dropped the most in the brain's left and right frontal cortices, where the emotional responses are regulated. So what was it about the piece that was so different than the others? It wasn't that the patients just loved the Mozart. They chose classic country, rock, and heavy metal as their favorite musical selections. So it seemed that they didn't have to enjoy the music to benefit from it. The authors believed it had something to do with the structure and form of the piece itself, and how the listener's expectations of what should happen were subverted. In other words, a combination of predicting what was going to happen, anticipating what would happen, and then being surprised with what actually did happen in the music caused this brainwave effect. So to talk a little more about this, let's talk about the form and structure of this sonata. The first movement of K448 is composed in what's called sonata form. And for those of you who are not familiar with a sonata form, it's kind of a roadmap of how the movement is structured. And it's based on melodies and the harmonies that are underneath them. In sonata form, the piece has three main sections of music that are focused around two melodic themes. In the first part, which we call the exposition, the composer introduces the two themes. In the development section, the composer plays around with the themes, switching keys, maybe going from major to minor, or breaking them up into little motives, changing the mood, and overall just building excitement for the recapitulation. That's the third part, where the themes are brought back in all of their original glory for the grand finish of the movement. It's just the right balance of repetition and variation that the classical time period was famous for. Also, in the exposition, at the beginning of the movement, something interesting happens. The first theme is introduced as normal. But when the second theme is introduced, it actually shows up in a different key than the first. So within the first minute of the piece, you've already changed keys. And that key change is usually set up with harmonies that don't usually belong in your original key. And if you don't know that key change is coming, then you're listening to a melody that you think, oh, I know what's gonna happen. And then all of a sudden, something completely different shows up. And that surprise is what the researchers think causes a reaction in the brain. This idea of prediction and surprise in music fascinates me. This means that the composers and the performers are not the only creative ones in a musical performance. Audience members are also constantly in the state of creating and predicting while just listening to the music. Like, how amazing is that? And how many times have you been giving a live performance and you feel this like massive energy exchange between you and the audience? 
And apparently, that's because there's a constant flow of prediction, imagination, and expectation happening between everyone. That's absolutely incredible. In another study released in August 2021, researchers from Trinity College Dublin studied how our brains process music and anticipate what's coming next, even during silence. In this research study, researchers measured brainwaves in three different scenarios. First, they had trained musicians listen to a Bach piece a few times, and then they measured their brain activity while actively listening. Then they turned off the music and asked the musicians just to imagine the melody in their brains, and they were still able to read the score, you know, to remind them what's going to happen, but they just had to imagine the melody. And this gave the researchers a baseline on how the brain reacts differently when imagining music versus listening to music. And then the researchers focused on the brain activity during the silences that were built into music. Namely, what happened to the brain when listening to music, but when there were rests or pauses? And what did the brain do during those moments of silence? Interestingly enough, the brain waves were very different when actively listening to music and when imagining the music. But the brain reacted the exact same way when both imagining the melody and during the silence between the notes. This showed that even when there's silence in music, our brains are imagining and predicting what will come next. And when those predictions are subverted or the unexpected happens, we produce more of a neural response than when our predictions are correct. That may be why we get chills on a great key change or like some interesting chord. The researcher Guillaume Marion explains it like this. Think when someone is touching your arm without telling you, or you are touching your own arm. You will feel it more when someone else is touching you, and that's because you've not been able to send an accurate predictive signal. When we know something is going to happen, it seems like our brain calms down our reactive response to things, and it does that so we're not in a constant state of being startled. And it seems that this is happening when we listen to music as well. And I am absolutely not a neuroscientist, so I couldn't tell you if these two studies are even talking about the same type of neural activity or even the same sections of the brain. But they both are saying that the brain loves predicting outcomes in music and the brain loves it even more when our predictions are wrong and when we are surprised by what we're listening to. So perhaps that's why Mozart is so powerful in these studies. His melodies are never random, and there's enough repetition that our brains can make these predictions and think that they know what's going to happen next. But he's also really, really good at surprising listeners and subverting expectations in a stimulating way. And knowing that we're biologically programmed to enjoy new sounds and new ways of subverting expectations explains the progression of how music has changed over the centuries. And knowing that we're biologically programmed to want to make predictions through patterns and having them subverted will help musicians and composers in general see where music needs to go next while still remaining relevant to the general population. And perhaps even a new genre of music will come out of this. Maybe like therapeutic sonatas will become a thing. Until then, I do hope that these patients enjoy Mozart's K448. Sounds like they're going to be listening to a lot of it.
Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. Throughout today's episode, you heard excerpts from Mozart's Sonata for Two Pianos in D Major, K448, performed by Pavali Jumpanen and Elaine Howe, and shared with you today through Creative Commons license on IMSLP. I'll have links to the full recording as well as to the research articles mentioned today and the Music in the Body with Lori Finley Hamilton episode in the show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. And if you want to help us reach more people that may be interested in today's topic, share this episode with them or leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any topics you'd like to be discussed or questions about music or musician life that you'd like answered, be sure to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much.